Thanks for joining today. Chodesh Tov. I wish each and every one of you a blessed new month. Hashem should shower you and your loved ones with many blessings. And we should be able to hear and share only good news. And despite the fact that we find ourselves in the midst of what could, I guess, be termed as a challenging time, from these challenges and from these difficulties and from this travail, we should be able to experience a newfound sense of freedom and fulfillment and an uplifting sense of mission and purpose. Today's Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of a new month, but also the beginning of what I would call a 12 or 13 day cycle of holiness. And it goes something like this. We, the Jewish people, were chosen by Hashem to be His special children. That began on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, when God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, HaChodesh HaZelochem Rosh Chodeshim. This month is going to be for you, for the Jewish people, a new month, a new moon, a new beginning, a new way of telling time. The Medrash tells us that when God proverbially chose the world, He established months, days, the notion of time. That when God chose Father Jacob and his progeny, that's us. He established for them a month of redemption, which means the notion that although time kind of boxes us in and limits us, we are also able to rise above the limitations and the restraint of time. Only yesterday we read in Shul together, Parsha Tachodesh. Parsha Tachodesh presages Rosh Chodesh Nisan, but perhaps more importantly, it presages the notion of Geula, the idea that we could be a part of the world and at the same time exist apart from everything else. A short two weeks later, we the Jewish people, in the greatest act of defiance, slaughtered the god, the deity of ancient Egypt. We then roasted and ate the sheep. In doing so, we expressed our preparedness, our readiness to follow Hashem, to forswear the things we had become used to, the realities that had defined our life and existence up until that point, and that from here on, forward, we would follow only Hashem Aleikei Yisrael. The next morning, we left Mitzrayim forever. We began a process of inner refinement, a process of perfection, preparing for Matan Torah. When Hashem gave us the Torah, He crowned us with halos of holiness, and He empowered each and every one of us to transform the world in which we live so that it might become a place that would reveal godliness and the presence of the Creator instead of concealing it. Unfortunately, things didn't go exactly as planned. Moshe Rabbeinu ascends the mountain to be able to receive the essence of all wisdom from God for 40 days and for 40 nights. He does nothing else but absorb that wisdom, that energy, we, we waited. 
But at the end of the 40 days, due to a tragic miscalculation, the fears and anxieties of a newly minted nation, we built a golden calf, an idol. We were almost lost forever. But thanks to Moshe Rabbeinu, we were able to become rehabilitated. Our relationship with God was mended. And exactly a year after HaKadosh Baruch Hu, after the Almighty said, I'm going to give you a mitzvah, the mitzvah of sanctifying time. This will herald the possibility of being able to live within the constraint of time and yet at the same time transcendently. Exactly a year later, the Mishkan, the traveling tabernacle, which served as a convention, an envelope for the presence of God amongst us, was finally established. That's the anniversary we commemorate today. For the subsequent 11 days, the first 12 days of Nisan, we the Jewish people were represented by our leadership, our Nisim, our princes or presidents of each tribe. They brought offerings on behalf of the entire tribe and in doing so forged our eternal bond connection and relationship with God in a manifest way. From this point and onward, God will always dwell amongst us. At times it would be overt, seen and felt, as in the time when the Beit HaMikdash stood. At times, the sky got cloudy and we couldn't see the sunlight. Sometimes night even fell. But throughout the challenging, difficult and storied epochs of our exilic reality, we the Jewish people have always had the privilege of Hashem's presence amongst us. That's what we believe. We believe that's why we're still here today. We believe that's why we've defied every statistic. Because Hashem's presence is amongst us. Hashem's presence, the Shekhinah, was actualized in the Mishkan by virtue of the efforts of humanity, specifically the special offerings, the korbanot that were brought by the leaders of each tribe. And so you might not have known this, but these 12 days, the first 12, or by virtue of other accounts, the first 13 days of Nisan, are actually considered to be mini holidays. There's a part of the prayer which we drop. It focuses on sin, iniquity, shortcoming, and imperfection. It's not exactly a joyous prayer. We confess, shamnu, bagadnu. We ask God forgiveness. But on days of elevated happiness, on days when there is a greater joy, we don't have to make that request. One of the metaphors that's given is when somebody's in a really good mood, when things are really joyous and there's a happy frame of mind, we kind of overlook the little details. The imperfections, the sins of omission or commission, they kind of fade in the dazzle of the light of the joy of these days. We don't say tachnun. We don't have to recite those penitential prayers. It's not a holiday because we commemorate something that once happened. It's a holiday because this is happening. It happens every year annually when we commemorate these days, the anniversary and what it represents. There is something we do say though. It's called, colloquially speaking, the Nasi. The verses of the leader, 
So each day during the month of Nisan, in its opening, we recite or chant the verses that describe that very offering. And then we recite a special prayer formula, one that really is quite unreplicated. It's a prayer formula that asks Hashem, asks the Almighty, to grant us the privilege of being able to absorb the energy that resonates on this particular day, if, if we are connected to that tribe, if we are a descendant of that particular tribe. So, for example, on the first day of Nisan, it was the tribe of Yehuda that was represented. And we recited in this special Yehirat Zon prayer, Be'im ani avdecha mishevet Yehuda, if I am descended from the tribe of Yehuda, well then, let all those sparks and let all that light and energy resonate within me, illuminate my soul so that I can fulfill my personal mission, so that I can live the kind of life that Hashem wants me to live and that you can live the kind of life Hashem wants you to live. In today's Hayom Yom, the Rebbe notes, that the Rebbe Rashab instructed his brother-in-law, whose name was Rabbi Moshe Horenstein, who was a Kohen. Now, we don't know what tribe we're from. We've lost that tribal ancestry. We know we're Jewish. We're Jewish because our mother's Jewish. But we don't know what tribe we're from anymore. Nobody knows with certainty. During the vicissitudes of Galut, over the sands of time, these are details that faded away. It didn't have practical relevance. It didn't change the way we observed our mitzvot. We focused on preserving the essentials, the things we needed. But if you're a Kohen or a Levi, that is relevant. There are special mitzvahs applicable only to Kohenim. There are customs applicable for Levites even until this very day. So the only tribe that actually has preserved its lineage, the only tribe that knows with certainty or the people who would be able to identify their tribal ancestry are the Kohanim. And yet the Rebbe Rashab, whose Hilula is tomorrow, instructed his brother-in-law, Rabbi Moshe Horenstein, the Kohen, to recite the Yehi Ratzon after the verses that describe and narrate the offerings brought by each of the Nasim. Now on the surface, that does not seem to make any sense. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, we say, If I am by some chance from the tribe of Yehuda, I don't know that I'm from the tribe of Yehuda, but I may be, you may be. So today's Yehuda's day. And if today's Yehuda's day, let it be my day too. Because I might be from the tribe of Yehuda. Oh, if I'm not, that's okay. Tomorrow I'll be reciting new verses and I'll say the same thing if I'm perhaps from the tribe of Yisachar. But Ramosha HaKohen knows he's a Kohen, so why would he say, If I am Mishavit, you know which Shevet you're from. Now some have maintained because Kohenim don't really know with absolute certainty. That's a very poor answer, especially because some of the Kohenim amongst us are called Kohen Miyuchas, they're Kohenim who actually can transcribe or trace their generations. But Moshe HaKohen was such an individual. So the Rebbe Rashab explained to him, that's because 
of the notion of Ibur. Ibur literally means pregnancy. What does it mean in this context? So it's a shayach le'ibur. This is related. This is because sometimes the soul is connected to pregnancy. Well, this is a Kabbalistic metaphor. It's not to be taken literally, of course. But all metaphors do have corollary with the idea or ideal being conveyed or expressed. So at a literal level, pregnancy means that a woman contains within her another life. The mother carries that child. Whatever the mother eats nourishes the child. If the mother absorbs toxic things, it could, God forbid, harm the child. Yeah, a pregnant woman shouldn't drink or smoke or anything like that. It's just not fair. You can ruin your own life. It's not fair to ruin somebody else's life even if they're your child. It doesn't mean it's yours to ruin. It means it's been entrusted to you. The child is Hashem's child, as the Rebbe would often say. So when the mother carries the child, there's obviously a symbiotic relationship between mother and child. Whatever mother absorbs, the child absorbs as well. Incidentally, this is not only true in a material sense, it's also true in a spiritual sense. When the mother recites words of prayer, the child absorbs those words of prayer. When the mother listens to words of Torah and absorbs them, the child is learning Torah too. When the mother sits at a Passover Seder basking in the glow, in the atmosphere, the baby is doing same. So, how does this work out in a spiritual sense? Well, Kabbalistically, there's this discussion of souls that sometimes carry other souls. That is to say that somebody's study of Torah, engagement in prayer or performance of mitzvahs can sometimes actually be enriching somebody else. Because sometimes one soul can absorb or carry another soul along with it. Although, generally speaking, Avodat Hashem is a personal thing, sometimes we can be influenced, uplifted, and even changed by the actions or efforts that are taken or made by another. And so, the impregnated soul, if you will, is adding vitality back to its host soul because although one soul is providing for another, the more you give, the more you get. And there is a symbiotic relationship. The mother carrying the baby is uplifted by virtue of that incredible mission. And the bond that she feels with that baby gives her an edifying sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. When one soul carries another, the host soul is oftentimes enriched by the fact that it can upgrade, uplift, or positively impact another soul too. The point then is this. I might be from the tribe of Yehuda. However, there might be a soul, a soul that's carrying my soul or uplifting my soul. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's a, a relative. Maybe it's a good friend. I don't know. And so, whilst I might be from the tribe of Yisachar, 
if they're from the tribe of Yehuda, they're elevated today. If they're elevated today by virtue of what they receive, the infusion or transfusion they're receiving of spiritual energy can necessarily benefit me too. And the same would go the other way. If that soul is carrying me and I'm from the tribe of Yosachar and I recite those verses tomorrow, that's, that neshama can be enriched by virtue of the fact that I'm being enriched. So Ibra means there's a shared lot. Now, I always found it interesting that this Hayom Yom was said to Rabbi Moshe HaKohen. But the famous question is, aren't we all from one of two tribes? Binyamin or Yehuda? Weren't the ten tribes exiled? Well, yes, they were exiled, but the Talmud is very clear in Masechet Megillah, Sanhedrin, and elsewhere in telling us that significant numbers of the exiled tribes did return and were reabsorbed into the Jewish people living in Judea. So whilst we have for millennia imagined that there were millions of Jews somewhere in a distant land called Sambachin, which today we know cannot be physically so, and whilst there are Nishamot or people somewhere out there that will be returned to us, and we don't know who they are. Yeah, I know there are people living in Burma who call themselves B'nai Menasha, or some who maintain that the Jews from Cochin or India are from the lost tribes. The truth is that there are many, many different groups of people around the world who do have some Jewish background. There were Chinese Jews as well. But their passports were stamped Yudah. That's right, they came from the tribe of Yehuda, or so we thought. They're certainly from the post-Purim era because that's where the name Yehuda or Yudah, Jew, was applied. So nobody can argue that there were Jews in China. There is a Jewish there was a Jewish community. There are artifacts that are extant till today. There's a prayer book in the Royal Ontario Museum just a few kilometers away from where I am right now. There's a Haggadah. You can print, watch it, see it, look at it, print it. It's online. You can buy a printed copy. It even follows the ruling of Bet Shammai. But the Haggadah was only formulated near the end of the Second Temple era. The first tribes were exiled centuries before that. So whether people in Burma have a Jewish background or not is something that is certain to me. The very, very compelling evidence, whether they're from the tribe of Menashe, who knows? Who knows exactly what that means and how these 10 tribes will return? We don't have to know. It's beyond my pay grade, certainly. And it's not something that's a critical part of Yiddishkeit in, in knowing this or believing it per se. What we must know is that any of us could actually be from any of those tribes. And when Mashiach will come, there's going to be a special homecoming. How it'll look and where exactly it'll happen. Let's wait for Mashiach to come. What we should be is yearning for the coming of Mashiach. These days focus on the notion of nisiyut, of leadership, of souls that carry other souls. And so this is a, a very, very potent and profound time for all of us. It's a time for us as Hasidim where we strengthen our relationship with the Rebbe, a super soul who carries so many of us. The Rebbe's birthday is in a couple of days on Yer Aleph Nisan. And we anticipate and look forward to that. That's the day Hashem decided to gift the world the incredible neshama of the Rebbe. And Tzaddikim continue to live on after that terrestrial passing. The point that I'd like to leave all of you with is these are special days. Use them as such. When we work hard to try and prepare for Pesach, 
whether it's cleaning our house or cooking kosher for Pesach food, we're actually creating a repository, a receptacle for the presence of Hashem to live amongst us. These are holy days. These are powerful days. These are joyous days. These are wonderful days. Use them well. And hopefully, when we utilize the energy available to us in these special days, together we will merit to see the fruition of the journey finally unfold. The end of the journey is the coming of Mashiach, for whom we ardently wait, await, hope, and yearn. Let's hope that this year, Pesach will indeed be in Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim Habnuya, the newly rebuilt, refurbished, totally transformed city of Yerushalayim that will be graced with Yerushalayim Sholmaila, the heavenly Jerusalem, meshing with the physical and terrestrial soil, earth, bricks and mortar, and that in the center of it will be the third base of Migdash, bringing light and holiness to all of us, Bimheira Ubiyameinu, speedily, and in our days, Amen Chodesh Tov. Have a wonderful Chodesh, and I look forward to hearing, to sharing good news, and the best news of all, Bias Mashiach Tzedkenu, Bepoel Ubimheira Ubiyameinu, Amen. Thank you.